doing something this week that's more important than we could ever think about and do this week. And that's think about who God is. That video started by saying, the most important thing about you is what comes into your mind when you think about God. Those are the words of A.W. Tozer, a pastor who said those words in his book, Knowledge of the Holy. And that sounds like a statement someone would make when they're trying to validate their existence as a preacher or as a teacher of theology, which, which is what I do at Biola University. I'm also a pastor at Grace Evangelical Free Church in La Mirada. But before I'm any of those things, I am a follower of Jesus. I'm someone who at a very early age in my life was sat on the lap of my mom and she read the Bible to me and at some point very early on in my life I became aware of my desperate need for forgiveness, for someone to save me from my sin and myself and I knew that was Jesus. And as a very young boy I trusted Jesus and I've never looked back and I couldn't be more thankful for what he's done for me in my life. And that I get to stand here before you tonight and this week is just an incredible privilege to proclaim Christ with us all this week. Well, I'm also a family member. I want to show you a picture of my family, not what you were expecting maybe. Though that's a glimpse of some people from my church. This is actually our food bank workers, and they serve faithfully on Fridays serving a week of groceries to hundreds of people every Friday. And I just wanted to show you a glimpse of my church because I'm not just a preacher. I am part of a church family. And I know most of you came here part of a church, and that's great. That's vital. We can't become who God calls us to be independently. And the primary place he wants us to do that is part of the church. And so I want to see you, show you a little glimpse. I know everybody in this picture. I love everybody in this picture. Some people in this picture are easier for me to love than others, but I love them all. They're my church family, and those are the people who take care of my wife and kids if I die tonight. And so I hope you love the church. You can't love God if you don't love his church, and so I want to show you that picture. I'm also a dad and a husband. This is my wife, Donna, of 33 years. We met when we were 16 when I transferred to her high school after the third custody battle my mother and father had, and I moved in with my dad and went to Donna's high school, and her locker was right across from me in the senior corridor, and I immediately noticed her and started asking questions, and I found out she was dating a guy seriously, and his name was John, and I was bummed about that, and so I had to wait till she broke up with him, which took 18 months but she finally did. But he had become a friend of mine by then, her, her boyfriend. And so I waited. Out of respect for him, I waited two weeks. And then I moved in. <laughs> I moved in like El Nino, and I never looked back. And seven years after that, we got married, and we've been married for 33 years. We have four children. We absolutely love to death. Our daughter Caroline here is our oldest She's 22. She's working in Hume Lake all summer in the trading post. This is my daughter Paige, who's 19. She works in healthcare. My son Sam is uh, working on the basketball court all summer for his high school team. It's like a full-time job for him. And my son Sam, my son Isaac, is a delightful young man. Are you here, I? Isaac, what are you doing? You're not hearing your father preach. You here, Isaac? Yeah. Where are you, boy? Where are you, boy? Where are you? Stand up, dude. Where is he? 
He's not here. Oh, where is he? All right. Anyway, it's, you really sounded like him. You sounded like my son. Um, but my son Isaac is actually working here all summer full-time in the kitchen. You'll see him around. He's a great boy. I love my kids. I wanted to show you these pictures because I'm not just a preacher and a pastor and a professor. I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a husband of Donna. I'm a father of four kids, and I am depending on Jesus every day to do these things faithfully according to his truth and his word. And so please know that I'm in this with you. I'm not just here as an authority telling you what I've figured out. I'm here as a struggler along with you, understanding these things that we'll be talking about this week right along with you. So that's the truth. My daughter was 11. Caroline was 11. And um, my first three kids are from Taiwan, if you're wondering, and, and Isaac's from China, quite proudly. So we have geopolitical conflict in our own family. But uh, we, we, I was talking to Caroline one day, and we were having some conflict, and she said, Daddy, you have absolutely no idea what it's like to be an 11-year-old girl. And I said, Caroline, you couldn't be more right about that. But you have no idea what it's like to be the father of an 11-year-old girl. So let's just, oh, bam, yes, yes, thank you. <laughs> but I said, that wasn't to bust her. I said, so let's just figure this out together. And that's what I want to do with all of you this, this week is figure this out together. Let's go along for this ride together and understand God and his word and his ways better. Sound good? All right. Open your Bibles, please, to John chapter 1. We are going to look this week at what it means to know truth, to know the truth. John chapter 1, what are we all talking about, I'm wondering? What is it? You can't see? You don't have your Bibles? All right, um, all right, then listen very carefully. Let me tell you this, if you don't have your Bible, that's okay, but um, listen, do you know most Christians throughout the history of the church, and especially in the first century, didn't have their own Bibles? But how did they learn the Bible then? They listened exactly. The Bible was primarily throughout the history of the church, and especially in the first century, it was listened to. But we're not very good at listening, especially to people reading a book like the Bible. And so maybe this week we can work really hard at listening well. Okay? You can't learn about God if you don't listen well. So let's listen to what God says in John chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. You ready? Let's pray. Almighty maker of heaven and earth, as we go to your word now, we pray that the spirit who inspired it through these human authors would illuminate our minds right now and transform our hearts through this written word. That is your word. Lord, we pray that we would leave here tonight different than when we walked in. We pray that you would help us to know you better, to understand your word more clearly, to love you more deeply, to worship you more devotedly. Lord, help us now as we go to your word to hear from you, not just a frail, fallen preacher, but from you as the Spirit works. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Listen to this. Here we go. Here's God's word. Listen. This is the only thing you're going to hear that is straight from the word of God. Here it is. 
in the beginning. Does that sound familiar? Where have you heard that before? There you go. The very first verse of the Bible. In the beginning, what does it say? God created the heavens and the earth, right? Yes, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It is no coincidence that the Apostle John who wrote this gospel, who was the beloved disciple who knew Jesus as well as any human being during, during his 33 years, it's no coincidence that John begins his gospel with those very same words that are at the beginning of the very beginning of the Bible. He was a Jew who knew the Bible his whole life since he was a little boy had massive chunks of it memorized. So when he writes his testimony of who Jesus is, it's no coincidence he begins it with the very first words of the Bible. And I think if we could get the very first words of the Bible right, we'd get everything else right. In the beginning, God. You notice it doesn't try to argue for his existence or prove it or persuade anybody of it. It starts out right out of the gate, the Bible does, assuming the existence of God. That's what it says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And this God is the God of truth. He is the God we trust as the God of truth. Why? Because he's the creator of everything. God created everything with the mere power of his word. He spoke everything into existence. He's the author of it all, the creator of it all. Do you know what it means to say that? It means that every beautiful thing you see is just a reflection of the all-beautiful God. Every time you seek wisdom, you're seeking wisdom from the all-wise God. Every time you see something powerful or majestic, every time you behold something awesome in creation, and you do know the most awesome thing in creation is humans. Every time you behold the image of God in a human being, you're beholding a reflection, an imaging of God himself. And that's the purpose of creation, to image God himself, to show us who he is. The creation's not an end in itself. It's a means by which we know the creator. And so the creator of the universe speaks everything into existence, and in that, he gives divine intention. He gives divine purpose and meaning and significance. Do you want your life to mean something? Sure you do. You're not human if you don't. You're not human if you've never laid in bed at night staring at the ceiling wondering if your life matters, if it's all adding up to anything. And it's not even enough for you to have meaning for just today. Don't you deeply want meaning for the rest of your life and even into eternity? You know, people say at funerals, and I've been to a lot of funerals as a pastor, People say at funerals, oh, he'll live on in the memory of those of us who love him. Maybe for one generation, and then that's it. It's amazing how quickly the memory of us fades. So is it enough for you to just be admired by your children one day, or even your grandchildren if it gets that far? Don't you want a meaningful life? Don't you want a life of significance? And security? And don't you want a life that means something? Well, how are you going to find that? How are you going to know what that is? Well, you go to the one who made you. Who else would you go to to find out the meaning of life than the creator of life? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The first verb, the first thing we find out about God is that he's the creator. And if we could just get that right, we would get everything else right. 
So John begins his gospel about Jesus the same way the Bible begins the story of God. In the beginning, but instead of saying, instead of saying God created the heavens and the earth, it says in the beginning was the word. Now let's pause there. That's the Greek word logos. And what you need to know is John primarily has in mind a Greek-speaking audience, a Hellenistic audience, you know, this massively influential culture that was in its prime right here at this time in human history. And John is writing to these Greek speakers in the fullness of time, the Bible says, when just the time was right, and he's writing in a way that they can really understand. And he uses this word, lagos. He says, in the beginning was the word. Now, that may mean nothing to you, but to a Greek mind, it means a lot. It means to them the thing that holds everything together, the thing that makes things make sense. Even that sentence that I just said, makes things make sense, hopefully makes sense. And people thought deeply about these kinds of things. And so they would say, why does there seem to be a way things are, or at the very least, a way things should be? Why does there seem to be this beautiful unity with, woven through creation? Why does there seem to be something that gives us intelligence, the ability to reason, and the ability to communicate? That seems miraculous. There must be something holding everything together and giving it, giving it its unity. Now, then they would say, but there does also seem to be chaos in the world. There seems to be disorder in the world. And how do you explain that? Well, you won't even have that concept if you didn't have the assumption of order. You know, the way things are supposed to be. And even people who don't believe in something like the word, the lagos, or even God, they still talk like this. You know, I hurt my hip a few years ago, and it's just not working the way it's supposed to. Supposed to? What's this supposed to? Well, it's the assumption of how things should be, how things were made to be. And so he's saying, in the beginning was the logos. And his Greek thinkers are saying, okay, yeah, yeah, we know that term. It's, it's quite familiar to us. What holds everything together? In the beginning was the word. And he keeps going. The word was with God. Okay, so the word then is not just some organizing reality, not some thing that gives life coherence and reason and order. It's actually something, some, something that was with God, a personal being, a creator. Okay, so this thing is associated with God now. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And then what does he say? And the word was God. <gasps> so this thing that we've always recognized seems to hold everything together is not just some force like in Star Wars or some, some principle or some reality. It's actually a personal God who created everything, who has divine characteristics. Yeah, that's what he's saying, and their minds are starting to be blown. And the word was God. He was in the beginning, there it is again, with God. And all things were made through him. So he's the creator. And without him was not anything that was made that was made. In him was life. 
And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Is that awesome? He's saying this creator, God, is the word you've always known about, and he is the one who brings life to everything, and light, understanding, truth to everything. And this light shines in the darkness. And then he talks about this man named John the Baptist who comes in witnesses to the one who is, verse 9, the true light, which gives light to everyone who is coming into the world. He was in the world, and listen, the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. That may be the saddest verse in the Bible to me. He made the world for relationship with the world. He made the world for himself. He made the world something like himself to reflect who he is, to have a relationship with him, and the world didn't know him. How could it not know the creator? But that's the reality. We've gone our own way, just like the, the opener shows us. We disobey the creator, and we go our own way. He's the true light that comes in the world, and the world does not receive him. It doesn't know him. He came to his own, it gets worse, 11, to his own people. And they did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And their minds are being blown here as these people are reading this and hearing this for the first time. And now listen to this, verse 14. And the Lagos, the word, became what? Flesh. And dwelt among us. He set up his tent among us. He tabernacled among us. He camped out with us. And we've seen his glory, John is saying. What are you talking about, John? You've seen this Lagos, this eternal word, who's the creator God. He became a human being. And you've seen the glory of this, this human being who's also God. The glory of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him. And he cries out in this way. This is what happens. Look at verse 18. No one has ever seen God. The only God who's at the Father's side, this divine word, he has made him known. I don't know if you've read this before, but my goal for you this week is that you hear and read the Bible like you've never heard and read it before, even if you've been reading it for your whole 18 years, maybe. That the Bible will be like the smelling salts of the word to you this week. Anybody ever have smelling salts? Who's had smelling salts? Check you guys out. Why? Why? Just to wake you up. <laughs> What's your name? What is it? Asher. Asher, just to wake him up. So smelling salts is this, this chemical co collection that you crack under someone's nose when they're unconscious, not just to wake them up typically, but when they're unconscious to bring them back to consciousness. And that's what I'm praying the word will be like for all of us this week. I'm praying the word will be like something that brings you out of unconsciousness this week. 
Yes? And, and when you read this, you should say, whoa, what in the world? I've had smelling salts a lot. I played ice hockey. I played football. I've, ha- I've been knocked out lots of times. And so I've needed it. And the, the Bible should be that way to us. Did you hear what this is saying? It's just incredible. And so what we're learning about this week is the truth. We live in a weird time to understand truth. Do you know, there's, I don't think there's ever been, I've studied world history, I've studied world religions, I've studied philosophy, I've studied all the great ideas and thinkers of the world I could get my hands on, and, and do you know I think we live in a time unlike any other time in human, human history? Oh, there's always been this idea throughout human history until now that truth is something that's outside of you, that's true whether you like it or not, whether you agree with it or not. Whether you wish it were different than it is, throughout all of human history, there's been this sense that truth is out there, reality's out there, and, and you need to somehow fit your life into it, and that's what's been considered wisdom for all of human history. Now, magicians in the ancient world would try to get around it. Today, we try to get around it through technology. You know, we think we can outwit reality sometimes. But we live in an age where people are no longer thinking that truth is outside of me and I need to somehow conform to it. People actually start to think that truth is something you figure out all by yourself. And once you do, by mostly looking within yourself, then you live according to that truth you've discovered for yourself. Oprah Winfrey accepted a big award a, a couple of years ago at the, at the Golden Globes. And, and when she did, she gave this speech that made people think she was going to run for president because it was such an incredible oration. But she said the word truth 10 times in that speech. And she said this key sentence in the whole speech. She said the most powerful tool anyone has is speaking your truth. And everybody went, awesome. No, don't clap, don't clap, don't clap, because I don't think it's awesome. It's okay if you do, because most people do in our day, and you're just in some ways very influenced by the culture. But what, what people didn't realize, and please hear me, I love you dearly, but I am going to try to blow up some things you believe this week, just, just letting you know. So listen, listen, Oprah said your truth. Did you hear that? For all of human p- history, people said truth. But there's this idea now that all you ever get to have is your truth, which is only true for you. You need to realize that's not what people thought truth was through all of human history until now. Now, this idea of your truth is blowing up the very concept of truth as something outside of you that you don't get to make up. You know, we sort of get this with things like gravity. Yeah, that's why we don't jump off buildings, right? Uh, so, so we get it with things like gravity, but things that in some ways have even more relevance for our lives, like the meaning of life and how we should live, well, that, you just get your truth. Let me ask you something. What if my truth is that white people are superior to everybody else? Right, it's not. It's not see, even that reaction shows... You're so emotionally driven. Listen, listen. What if, what if I believe, what if I believe that if I have cancer, all I need is sugar water to, to cure it? That's not funny, right, right? 
So what if I believe that? Do I get to believe that? Yeah. But will I be cured of cancer? No, I'll need chemotherapy, right? Which isn't funny at all, right? So do you see what I'm saying? If all you've got is your truth, what have you got? Nothing. You've got nothing that actually matters, that actually lasts, right? Because people throughout history have believed horrible things like the supremacy of a certain race, right? Right? They, they believed horrible things that were terribly untrue throughout human history. And, and if we don't believe that, why do we have any right to say it's wrong to believe that? Why did you even have the reaction you did when I said those words? I certainly don't believe that, right? And anybody who does is tragically wrong and immoral, but says who? What, what, if, what if you lived in Nazi Germany, Right? And people were executing on a daily basis tens of thousands of Jewish people. Who are you to say that's wrong? If all you've got is your truth, you don't have an ability to say that's wrong. You don't have an ability to say anything's wrong except for you. So we live in a very strange time where people don't seem to realize that if you only have your truth, you don't have truth. And you don't have meaning. And you don't have a purposeful life. And you don't have joy and satisfaction and significance. You give up everything if you give up truth. But the good news is we don't give up everything. Now, if all we've got is our limited perspective that only you have, I agree with people who say all you've got is your truth. But see, what we believe is that we have the truth of God, the creator who is above us and not limited at all. And, you know, I'd make it worse. I think the Bible teaches that we suppress truth and unrighteousness. So if all we've got is ourselves and looking within ourselves, we have no right to say anybody's wrong about anything. And so, so we've got the answers from God. And so rather than looking within, we need to look above to God himself, the author of everything, including his word. And that's the great news. We'll talk about this uh, uh, tomorrow. But, but God's given us his word, and so we need to know the importance of truth and then seek truth and love truth and live truth. And if we don't, we've got nothing. And so I want you to realize the importance of these things. Here it is, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. See what John's doing? He's connecting Jesus, the Word, with the Creator. That's who He is. He created everything. And what you need to know is this God, who's the God of truth, is perfect and holy and truthful and faithful and all-knowing and wise and the unchanging Creator. That's who He is. And so who else would you want to go to for truth? But the creator himself, realizing that all truth you find anywhere else is from him ultimately. Listen how the Bible describes God the Father. He who blesses himself in the land shall bless himself by the God of truth. And he who takes an oath in the land shall swear by the God of truth. Because the former troubles are forgotten and are hidden from my eyes. He's the God of truth. In one verse it says it twice about him. And I could show you hundreds and hundreds of verses that talk this way. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. That's who he is. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
So the Father's the God of truth, the Son says he is the truth, and the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is called the Spirit of truth. When the counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me, Jesus says. So Father, Son, and Spirit, the God of truth, the one who is the truth, the Spirit of truth, are all working together perfectly to exalt Jesus, who brings us to the God of truth. And we depend on the spirit of truth to do that, who exalts Jesus, who brings us to the Father, who says, have you seen my son? Who says, make sure you depend on the spirit. And we've got this wonderful Father, Son, Spirit reality and relationship bringing us the truth in ways that saves our lives. So what is truth? Let's not go any further before we get a definition to this. What is truth? It's not just what you find when you look inside yourself. It's not just what your favorite teacher in high school tells you. It's not what the media will tell you. We've got to go all the way back to the creator himself. Truth is what aligns with God's character in his ways, this all-true, all-powerful, all-faithful, all-good, all-wise, all-knowing, all-present God. He's the one we go to. Who else would you go to? He's the one. And so then the reality he's created is the way things really are. They're the way things really are. You know, last year I read about a man who's Caucasian, but he decided he was Filipino. But he's not. Now, I'm not saying he decided he loves Filipino culture. Any Filipinos here? Yes, check you out. Yes, beautiful, yes. What, what, tell me your name. Amy, did you see my son Sam on the right? We're not sure what race Sam is, but everybody thinks he's Filipino. I don't think he is. Did you think he looked a little Filipino? A little bit? Anyway, so there's a man, there's a man who, who is a, who's saying he's Filipino now. And he wants everyone to treat him as a Filipino. He's, he'll apply for scholarships for Filipino people, and he is identifying as a Filipino. But he's not, Amy. He's not. He's as white as I am. So we've got to tell this man, brah, you don't get to be Filipino just because you decide to be, right? Or maybe you're thinking, hey, why not? Why not? Let, let the man be Filipino. Let's conform to his false reality. And that's where we are these days. We're letting people decide what reality is, even if it isn't reality. And that's no way to live. I prom- that's actually greatly dishonoring to Filipino people, is it not? You know, you may be sitting there saying, oh, let him do it. But maybe if you're Filipino, you wouldn't be so inclined to do that and say, wait, 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 wait. Wait, you don't get to do that. Because if you do, what does it mean to be Filipino? Nothing. Right? Do you see, we blow up reality and the beauty that God creates in these things if we don't recognize things as they really are. And so reality is what aligns with God's character and ways. The way things really are. And wisdom has always been seen as conforming to the way things really are. You know, they've called insanity doing something that fails, but continuing to do it. And so, yeah, wisdom is to conform our lives to reality. And this is God's perspective that determines reality. And I know you may not like this right now. You know, one of my kids, when we adopted this child, didn't know anything but Mandarin. 
when we adopted this child, but one of the first phrases this child learned when we adopted was, you are not the boss of me. <laughs> and this became probably the most oft-used phrase of this child. Now, it became a phrase in our family because it's, it, there's something in the human heart that hates anybody telling us what to do, that hates submitting to anybody else's perspective but the one I want to be true right now. You're not the boss of me. And the reality is we don't just think that about parents who God says are the bosses of us. We think it about God, our Heavenly Father. And we say to God, you're not the boss of me. And we'll look at the reality of that this week, what sin really is, what rebellion against God, uh, God really is. But to say you're not the boss of me is to fail to recognize that God is the authority. God is the source of everything, right? Hey, Hey, I just, I just want to give you a quick pep talk. When a culture doesn't believe in truth, you know what, else, what, it, what it doesn't care about? Learning. It doesn't care about learning. It doesn't care about going deep intellectually. It's happy to just flip through nonstop reels and Twitter feeds and, and uh, just uh, TikTok, just blah, all day. It's satisfied to do that. But uh, here's what I'm going to call you to. I'm going to assume the best of you guys this week, the very best. I'm going to assume you came here because you wanted to learn, not just hang out and have fun. And so when we're in here, we're going to have plenty of hang out and have fun. But when we're in here, we're going to work. We're going to think hard. We're going to think deeply. We're going to leave here next, at the end of this week deeper people intellectually, emotionally, spiritually than we were when we came. You, get you up for that? Okay. Yes, that throws my soul. I'm going to assume the best of you. I'm not going to buy into all the stereotypes of young people today who are checked out and don't want to learn. So I'm going to throw a couple of big words at you, and I want you to learn them, okay? Right now. You ready? I want you to learn this term. Autonomy is the first word. Say it. Autonomy. Autonomy means self-governing and moral independence. It means nobody's the boss of me, right? Auto, auto, you know, self, law. I'm my own law to myself is what that means. Nobody tells me what to do. And the word ontology, ontology, say ontology. It's just this big word in the history of thinking that means what reality really is. The actual nature of things. Yes? So you've got how things are and then this sense that no, no, I don't conform to how things are. I'm autonomous. I make every decision for myself. I don't answer to anyone or anything but myself. And here's the phrase I want you to learn. Ontology always trumps autonomy. Say it. Ontology always trumps autonomy. When you go home this weekend and your mother says to you, what did you learn this week? I want you to say, Mama, I learned that ontology always trumps autonomy. Yes? Okay, good. And what that means is how things really are always trumps, always overrules, always comes out winning over autonomy, right? Now, sometimes what you think is true is actually true. What you think is reality is actually reality. But there are plenty of times these two don't line up. And when they don't, don't line up, you know what wins reality? Every time. 
Reality according to God, the creator's perspective. And so I, I just want you, that's the basic concept we're going after this week. We live in a world where people think their own decision determines everything. And that's not how reality has ever been thought of throughout all of human history. So here's our mission. I want to be super clear about it this week. We, as people wanting to minister to you this week, here's our mission. It's the same one in the Gospel of John. This is what he says the whole Gospel of John is about. Jesus said, many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written. Why does he write this gospel, this record of the life of Jesus? So that you may believe. That's the point. We want to get to belief in the truth about Jesus, that Jesus is the Christ, the one who came to bring salvation to the world, the Son of God, and by believing, you may have life in his name. That's our goal for you. We want you to know life through belief in Jesus is the only one who saves. Anybody know what five solas means? What does it mean? Yes, five solas from Martin Luther. Anybody know what they are? What are they? Do you have, where are you from? Yes, everybody loves Brazilians. I've never, seriously, tell me your name. Tell me your name. What is it? Isaac, that's my son's name. Isaac. I'm telling, guys, listen, everybody loves Brazilians. You know it's true, Isaac, right? right. <laughs> You've never met anybody who says, I hate Brazilians. They're just, <laughs> anyway, do you know what they are? Can you name them, Isaac? Okay, can anybody name the five solas? Anybody know? Who's that? Where? Raise your hand. Tell me your name in the back. Jessica. Faith alone, she said, grace alone, Christ alone, scripture alone. No, she already said that. She started with that. Soli, Deo, glory. To the glory of God alone. Yes, Jessica, good job. Yes. This is what not just Martin Luther but people who wanted to recover the gospel. I just led a reformation tour in Germany a couple of weeks ago, and what we celebrated was that we are saved. We are saved from our sins and brought in relationship with God by grace alone, through faith alone, according to the scriptures alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. That's what this week is about, understanding clearly the truth of God in the simplicity of his saving work in Jesus so that you will have life in his name. That's what we want for you this week. Here's what Jesus says. If you abide in my word, if you, if you learn what I teach and you stay in it, you are truly my disciples, the ones who follow me, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's what I want for you. That's what we want for you this week. Not just knowing truth, not just submitting to truth and obeying truth, but being set free by truth. I see so many people who think they're going to find freedom by just looking inside themselves and they get more anxious and they get more addicted and they get more hopeless and they, they get more depressed and they get more sad and their lives are not saved and set free. I want you to know the one who is the way, the truth, and the life so you will know truth in his name and be set free. I work with young people every day of my life and so many are in bondage to lies. 
I want us to be set free from lies we're believing this week so that we can find the truth in Jesus and know the freedom he promises we'll have in him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your amazing grace. Thank you for your truth we have in your word. Thank you that Jesus is the truth. And Lord, I pray for each soul here, each young man and woman here tonight, that we would this week get closer to you because we understand your word and your truth better and find life in Jesus and the freedom he brings. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. Let's give it a 